grace and peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, and especially if you're visiting with us today, we're so glad that you're here with us. There should be a friendship pad in each pew at the uh, center aisle end, and we'd love to have you fill it out, whether you're new with us or whether you're a regular here. Let us know that you're here with us today and pass it down your row and then back to the center. Inside of your bulletin is an announcement sheet, our connections, and you'll see that you can get a flu shot today over in Tankersley Hall. Anybody already get your flu shot? Oh, look at that. Wow. I am impressed. I told them, oh, nobody's going to do that before first service, but look, you did. And if you would also like your blood pressure draw, uh, taken, they can't do that at the same place. You've got to come into the prayer room back here between services for that so they can hear your pulse over here because it's noisy over there. So flu shots are complimentary in Tankersley Hall, blood pressure over here. Um, this Friday is third Friday and we are welcoming back Dr. Cordula Dick-Mulkey who is going to talk about successful aging um, and doing that in a way that is full of grace and that makes the most of being older. So uh, you need to sign up for that so that we know how many tables to set up and it's a potluck. So you can sign up on the patio today for that. Our Girls Go Gourmet, which is a social evening for women to get to know one another, that is signing up on the patio today, and that has limited space, so you'll want to do that right away. Also, we have our next new members class, November 1st, with Jerry. That will be at 10 o'clock that morning. And if you're even considering knowing more about this church, because maybe you might like to join, you can uh, go and find out more about us there. If you know that you're ready to join, you can complete the whole process during that hour class. Uh, you'll also see that you can still sign up for a men's retreat. That is next weekend, next weekend, and you can still do that online. Um, also, starting next week, our children are having rehearsals for the Christmas program. So this is a casting call. If you have children or grandchildren who would like to be a part of that, you need to see right there that how you contact Linda and have your child here next week to be part of that practicing. Also, the service that is going to be for Phil Troutman, in memory of Phil Troutman, is going to be uh, this coming Saturday at 11 o'clock in our sanctuary. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Oh God, the great sower of the seeds of your kingdom into our hearts, we pray this morning that the word of your kingdom may be planted deep within our souls, we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit may rest upon us as we listen to your word, as we seek to 
And as we offer ourselves to you to be transformed and renewed by the power of your Spirit, bless us now, fill us with your grace. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. This morning, Psalm 124, it's called a Psalm of Ascents, is used as our call to worship. You'll notice this morning it's a plain song, and so the congregation, you will sing the main phrase of the text of Psalm 124, which is, our help is in the name of the Lord. And I will teach you that, and then I'll invite you to sing that with me. the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel now say, if the Lord had not been on our side when enemies rose up against us, they would have swallowed us up alive in their fierce anger toward us. Our help is in the name of the Then would the waters have overwhelmed us and the torrents gone over us. Then would the raging waters have gone right over us. Blessed be the Lord. He has not given us over to be prey for their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken. We have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Church, let us stand as we sing, O oh God, our help in ages past. Blessed be the name of 
Let's be seated as we continue in worship. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in your faith. For you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. And so let us come to the Lord and in unison confess the truth about ourselves to him. Let's pray. God of every people and nation, we confess that we have not lived as global citizens in your new realm of justice and peace. We build up dividing walls in the world. We contribute to division in the church. We ignore the suffering in distant lands and live in fear of our closest neighbors. Forgive us, God of grace. Pour out your spirit of peace upon us. Break down the dividing walls among us. Raise us up to be a holy temple your temple of peace in the world, built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, in whose holy name we pray. And so we bring to you the silent confessions of our hearts. 
For we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. My friends, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To him be the power forever and ever. This is the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. This morning we turn to Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 24, a new parable to look at, the parable of the weeds among the wheat. Really one of the most important parables, I think, in the Gospels. Wish I had discovered it years ago and done some serious thinking about it. Matthew 13, 24. 
Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. And so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds you would uproot the wheat among them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 36. Then Jesus left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. And the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears Listen, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. O Lord, take our limited understandings and our fragile souls this morning and do your work within us, the work that you alone can do. Bring illumination to your word through the Holy Spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. This is one of the simplest stories that Jesus told, isn't it? Story about a man who owns a field who planted some seeds, some good seeds, fully expecting that in time these seeds would blossom and be productive and bear fruit. But after all, the laborers who had worked with the master of the field had done the work of planting the good seeds. They they went to sleep for the night and they rested and in the darkness of the night someone came and planted weeds in the field. And lo and behold, when the plants began to come up, the servants who had planted the seeds saw that it was a mixed field. There were mixed plants there. Some were wheat, good plants, and others were weeds. And they went to the master of the field with this question, didn't you plant good seeds? Didn't you give us the good seed to plant? Of course I did. But an enemy has done this in the night. And the question of the laborers was, well, do do you want us to go then and gather up all the weeds out of the field 
and burned them up. And the master said, no, that's not your job. In the fullness of the harvest, when they've all grown to maturity, I'll send out my angels, the reapers, and they know how to do the work without destroying the good plants. They will gather up all the weeds, bind them in bundles, throw them in the fire, and then they'll gather all the wheat, the good plants, into my barns. I don't know who you identify with in this story, but I certainly identify with the workers. Someone who's always ready to jump in and weed the field. To get rid of the bad plants planted by the evil one. Whether those plants be in the world or in the church or in my family, the temptation is simply there on the basis of my superior knowledge and my vision and ability to see what's wrong with you. How easy it is to see the speck in my neighbor's eyes without seeing the log that is in my own eye. And so we make judgments and we jump to action for the sake of doing a good work. Seems like a good work, doesn't it? Some of us that go into ministry are into helping professions like nursing or social work or teaching or psychology. We begin to wonder at times why we chose our professions. Or was it not true that our professions consciously or unconsciously chose us? I grew up in a family where I was prepared for this gathering of the weeds. With from time to time members of my family attributing to me powers that I really did not have, that I had the capability of fixing what was wrong in the family. And I succeeded to one degree or another. That's sort of an arrogant statement. That is, at least until I went away to college and then my parents divorced. What happened over the years, though, was that feeling a call into ministry, I began to identify one of my spiritual gifts as being a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Who are the peacemakers? They're the ones who know how to make peace, how to reconcile enemies, how to discern where the evil and the good are at and in order for, for, for the purpose of purifying and shaping up and um, causing a field to produce only good plants. I remember my dad taught me a very important lesson. We, we planted a front yard together. I've shared this story before. We, we, we fixed the soil and we planted the good seeds. And as a kid, I went out on a regular basis to see if I could see the good seeds sprouting forth in that yard and whether or not there was a tint of green there. And sooner or later, it, it did appear there was a sheen of green across that whole front yard. And I was so excited. And it continued to grow. But one day, I realized there were other plants that were growing there as well. Dandelions with little yellow flowers on them. And as the grass grew, the dandelions grew. And I realized that if something was not done, the yard would end in a failure. So I began to weed the dandelions. And before Easter time, when we had looked forward to a beautiful green yard, a perfect front yard, Lo and behold, what was there was a spotty yard. I had ruined the yard. Plucking up and gathering the dandelions. 
I should have thought about it in the light of our church history before I applied these lessons to being a pastor. Because if you study church history, you find that there have been those for the last 2,000 years that have been trying to gather the weeds before time. The fourth century, there were many who fell away from Christianity, renounced Christ because of the Roman persecutions. And then when the emperor Constantine declared that Christianity was the accepted religion, those who had renounced Christ wanted to come back and and be bishops and pastors and leaders in the church again. And there was a group who were called the Donatists who said, not on your life. We will not allow those weeds to grow in the church. And it occasioned one of the great controversies in the history of the church. If it hadn't been for St. Augustine, the question about the nature of the church would have been perhaps forever lost as he argued for the grace of God and the healing love of God and tried to implement this, this parable and and to help his church to understand that we're not called to weed the garden of all the sinners. If we do that, we'll destroy the church. The 16th century, Luther was thrown out of the Roman Catholic Church. He was identified as a great sinner and a danger to the church. And then another group arose within the church. They were called the Anabaptists, and they believed Luther had not gone far enough in his Reformation. They wanted only highly committed Christians in the church, and they wanted to follow the Sermon on the Mount, and they wanted to get rid of anyone who didn't follow their way. And they weeded the garden. And Luther had to stand against them. In the early part of the 20th century, the church went through a tremendous warfare, the modernist and fundamentalist controversy. And the, the fundamentalists believed that there were certain things, essential tenets of the faith, you absolutely had to believe or you could not be ordained and we could not be together in one church. And it occasioned a great split Faculty at Princeton Seminary divided. Part of them went to Philadelphia and started another seminary. And the church suffered because they tried to weed the garden before time. It wasn't their job to do. But I have been one of those guys that right along who's ready to jump into the garden for the purpose of shaping it up. I remember it was in the 1960s when a little committee of our General Assembly gave $10,000 to the Legal Defense Fund of Angela Davis. And it occasioned the perfect storm in the church. And she was the, some of you who weren't alive then, most of us probably were. (laughs) Maybe we remember She was the black woman communist professor at UCLA, and it made the church look like we were siding with a communist and a woman and a danger. Small group of African-American leaders in our church gathered $10,000 together very quickly, repaid the money, The next General Assembly censored the action. It was not approved by General Assembly, but the damage had been done. We lost thousands of members because of that. And I'll never forget being in the Fellowship Hall one evening in La Cañada, jammed with folks who were angry as could be. And my dear brother, colleague, Gary Demaris, listened and absorbed the rage and lanced the boil 
And I thought we'd all be destroyed that night because of that. I immediately jumped into the fray and wrote a paper for the session to approve of, of a recommendation to the congregation. And it was passed. I felt almost like a hero. And then I began to reflect upon that experience and to realize, you know what? It is a dangerous thing to be the person in the middle, in the crosshairs of conflict, whether it's in the church or in the culture or in politics. Shoot, the Republicans can't even get along now. much less the Democrats. The progressives and the conservatives within the church go back and forth. It doesn't matter much what the issue is. All the issues are pretty much the same, and the remedy remains the same oftentimes. If we could just get rid of those weeds, everything would be all right. And the answer comes back to us from Jesus and his word over and over again. It's not your job. It's not your job. Well, if it's not my job to weed the garden, what is my job? What is your job? What is the job of the church? Do we have a job this Christian? Do we have a mission in this world? Aren't we supposed to oppose evil? And to be able to identify it and to discern it and to be sensitive and awake to the presence of evil in the world. And, and yes, we are. But I want to suggest three simple things this morning about what our job description is. And I think we could talk a whole lot more about this. And I hope you'll give me space in your own thinking for you to reflect together with me about all the, the things that we are called to do. But first and foremost... I believe our, our, our calling, our job, is to tend to our own field. Or to put it this way, mind your own business. <laughs> because there are certain things you can do and other things you cannot do. And a long time ago, I began to realize that the evil one had planted some weeds in my own soul. And that my vision was distorted. I get an eye exam every, every couple of years. And it seems like my eyes have changed just a little bit in their vision. And sometimes I've needed new glasses to begin to see reality, to see life in a way I hadn't seen it before. We get dependent upon these glasses I was out in hot Laguna Hills yesterday at Saddleback Hospital in a freezing hospital with one of our members. I had my glasses on and I walked back out into the blast furnace. And I sat in my car after talking with the husband of this dear woman in the parking lot. I got into the car and the lens popped out of my glasses. And I panicked, and I, I tried to put them back on and to see through one glass, and, and I despaired, and I tried to reach my doctor, but it was, it was Saturday or Friday. It was Friday afternoon. No chance. Thankfully, the Harvard Eye Clinic was open across the street, and I went in there, and the young lady in the office says, well, I'm not too good at this. It's going to take a long time. She did it. She put it back in. And I realized in seeing through these glasses again, how important it is to have both lens. <laughs> and to have clear glasses. And the scriptures are like a lens through which we see who God is and what God is about in our world. The scriptures are the place where we listen to discern what the will of God is for ourselves. And God is doing a very long and a very slow work in our lives. He alone knows how to remove the weeds from my soul, from my heart. 
The Russian novelist said the line of sin runs through every human heart, and we have not adequately appreciated how deep the problem of sin goes in every one of our lives. So my job is to learn to see myself honestly, with some humility, and with some humor. Can you laugh at yourself? Are we so serious all the time that we can't cut some slack for ourselves and our own humanness? If we're going to learn to love ourselves, it means loving ourselves in the totality of who we are. Good plant, bad plant. Because that's how God loves us. Just as we are. Secondly, it means attending to Jesus Christ and his word of grace. It's amazing what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about the way we see the world. He talked about seeing with eyes, the eyes of the kingdom. He saw the world through the eyes of compassion and was deeply moved by human weakness and suffering. And not for one moment did he abandon those who were broken and needing of salvation. Just the opposite. He said to his followers, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For God makes his sun to shine on the evil and the good and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Be like your heavenly Father. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. To be perfect in this sense is to have a life centered in the reality of the kingdom of God. It means to follow the one who went to the cross and who cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And once the church takes its eyes off of Christ and his forgiving grace, life becomes distorted, the family is broken, the battles rage. If I could only get that other guy to shape up. Be centered in Christ and his word. And let the word and the spirit of God do the work of transformation and give to us the mind of Christ. It's his mind that makes all the difference. He saw things as they really are through the lens of God's love. And then our job description, lastly, is to tend to God the Father who alone knows how to weed the field. And the promise of this parable is that the day is coming when the field will be weeded. The weeds will be gathered in bundles and thrown into the fire. One of the most vivid images of hell that we have in the Bible. The Bible is not naive about evil, nor about the devil. And I'm not talking about the little men in a red suit with a pitchfork and a long tail. We're talking about the spirituality of evil that is at work in the world and the work of the devil, the one who's wanted to be God from the very beginning. The one who is the source of all the chaos and the confusion and the violence and the warfare and the brokenness and sin and death in our world. 
That's who we're talking about. Not another God, but one whose destiny has been sealed by God's powerful love at the cross where the devil was defeated. But in this in-between time, between the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God, we still do battle with principalities and powers, the rulers of this world, and we are called to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand. But we stand in the sure hope and the blessed hope that Jesus is going to come again at the end of the age and his angels are going to be sent forth and all that has corrupted, defiled, and destroyed human life will be taken out of this creation and there will be a new creation. The church's earliest prayer was Maranatha, our Lord, come. Our Lord, come and fix what's wrong. And rip out the weeds of evil that have tormented humanity from the very beginning. We work as hard as we can to make a difference, to fix what's wrong. And a lot of that is legitimate. It's a part of our calling. But to do it in humility, understanding our limits and our own powerless, either to fix others, to fix our families, to fix the church, to fix the nation, to fix the world. That's not our job description. It's not our job. What our job is, is to be the people of God and to shine forth in this darkness with the light of God's justice and peace and righteousness. That's the job I want. And it's the job to which I'm called, and it's the job description of the church, I believe, in our time to be a people through whom the world can see the light of God's peace and love. May it be so. And may the Spirit empower that kind of bold, courageous living and waiting and praying and working. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Stand with me and let's affirm our faith. words of the Apostles' Creed, that which is at the heart and core of what the Christian faith is about. Together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated as we receive our morning offering. It is well with my soul. When peace like a
Let us pray. We thank you, Father, for all of our blessings, for the working of your Holy Spirit who causes us to have faith, hope, and love, enabling us to give, to give generously. We praise you, O God, for the compassionate love we have seen in our Lord, the love that will not give up on us. We pray for a greater capacity to love others, to befriend the lonely, to travel with those who are hurting, and to listen to those who are troubled. Your love for us was demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, while we were unworthy of your love, you loved us. And you demonstrated this love in the most vivid way possible in and through Jesus Christ. Lord, we are overwhelmed and exhausted by the news of violence and hatred, especially thinking of the tragedy in Oregon last week and Arizona and Texas on Friday our own endeavors and plans, peace and hope will never be realized. Yet by your hand, by the power of your love, all things are possible in Christ. We also pray for peace in Syria. We lift up world leaders this morning, enable them to work together towards caring for the good of people. We ask that you would replace fear and hatred with wisdom and peace. Again, we are well aware this can only happen by your sovereign will and power, and so we cry out, Lord, have mercy. Bless now the offering this morning, and may it be used to further the cause of your kingdom in this world for the sake of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name, amen. amen. This morning we will be singing a new arrangement of the Lord's Prayer. You'll find it on your music insert.
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times. The blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon us all. Amen. Amen.